You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Hi, this is David Donaldson. I am here with Michael Daly on Detailing Addictions with Dr. Susan Blank. She will be joining us in a few moments, um, but we are going to take some time today to talk about um, the the upcoming election, but we're not talking about, about Donald or Hillary. We're going to put our focus on talking about um, the number of states that are about to vote on legalizing marijuana um, for medical or recreational use and and the the serious concerns that that brings up for us. Dr. Blank has just arrived in the office, and so she's now taking over. (laughs) Thank you, David, and I apologize for being a moment late. It was unable to be um, avoided. Um, So... Welcome to the show, and as David was saying, we're going to be talking today about the number of states that have either directly on the ballot or are considering the addition of recreational marijuana for their state. I think there's a total of six states that are considering that, and um, that will be voted on in the next week. That would mean that 29 states in the United States have made marijuana legal either for medical or for recreational purposes. That is a pretty big number, and it is raising lots of concerns around the country. It's certainly raising concerns in terms of the addiction treatment world and the fears about what will or will not happen should a number of things occur, including this vote next week. Now, one of the things that has been interesting and that many uh, folks in the manufacturing world, the distribution world of marijuana, has been what was the DEA going to say? Were they going to reclassify marijuana? and make it no longer a controlled substance. And the official word back from the DEA is that, indeed, no, they are not going to respond positively or favorably to the petitions that have been presented to them. There were two two petitions that were presented requesting that the... um, marijuana be reclassified and they have said indeed they are not going to do that and because of this that uh, dashed some hopes for a number of the proponents of recreational marijuana as well as the proponents of the um, marijuana from the the, em- the emphasis with Medical the DEA use. or the FDA was was that the states that are petitioning to have it um, reclassified for research and for medical usage, they're they're saying that the studies have not been put in place in a way that that meets the standards for for testing a, um, a medication, and that the studies are not the the parameters are not in place in any of these states to be able to do it in a safe way. That's going to meet the standards of knowing that this um, is is actually doing anything to help the patient. Um, so it's people are people are pushing for it as a means around 
and the and the FDA is looking at it in in serious light in terms of if this is something that's going to be a, a, a medicine, then it needs to go through the proper channels to be studied and researched to show that it's actually doing what they're saying it's doing. So um, in response to the petitions, the DEA requested a scientific and medical evaluation uh, from the Department of Health and Human Services to look at the kind of a two-pronged test. Number one, is it effective for anything? And number two, what are the problems, the side effects, um, the difficulties, and the dose that would be appropriate? And they denied these two petitions for rescheduling because they said it does not meet the criteria for currently accepted medical use in treatment in the United States, that there's a lack of accepted safety for its use, that it is not currently used under medical supervision, and that it has a high potential for abuse. So this statement they put out in August of 2016 related to um, this request. They joined with the FDA at that time that's saying that we already have an approval process for medications in the United States. And it's a very rigorous process that the FDA requires in order for a medication to go from a theoretical investigational standpoint uh, through animal trials, then through human trials, and then uh, safety, efficacy, and um, side effect profiles are developed with specific recommendations for doctors in terms of why would you use this medicine and at what dose and for what population, and who would you not use it for. The whole process between the DEA and the FDA in terms of making sure that all of our medications are very safe is it's a closed circuit. The FDA goes through this very rigorous approval process, making sure that the studies have all been cleared, that when testing is done on human subjects, there are certain criteria that, they, that have to be used in terms of informed consent that this person knows this is investigational, that there may be problems, so on and so forth. So there's very strict regulations around how a, a study involving humans would happen. Once a medication is approved, then that entire process becomes a closed circuit as well. The manufacturing companies have to track and purchase the raw ingredients, if you will, manufacture the medication, the transportation, then the distribution through pharmacies. That is all a tightly closed system with lots of checks and balances to make sure that medications don't inadvertently make it out into the regular population. Secondly, the process on the other end is that the physician examines the patient, determines a diagnosis, gives the patient informed consent about the risks, benefits, alternatives, and side effects of the medicine, writes a prescription, which is then either faxed or taken to the pharmacy, where the pharmacist reviews the prescription to make sure that it's written correctly, that the person writing it, it has a valid license and is 
um, approved by the DEA to write that schedule of medication. Every year when I apply for my DEA license, I have to list which schedules I want to be able to write, and then they evaluate my application based on my credentials, my history, and also the types of medications that I will write. So yes, I do have a DEA for Schedule II drugs because I do sometimes have to prescribe some of these very potent medications. So once the pharmacist has been okay with the prescription, if they have questions, they do call our office. They want to make sure that this is a valid prescription, that the number is right, that the dosing is correct, and sometimes they inform us, do we know that the patient is getting a different type of medicine from another provider that might have a drug-drug interaction. This is a big problem, and we know that from looking at the package inserts for Marinol, which is one of the FDA-approved marijuana uh, THC products, um, there are a lot of drug-drug interactions between um, this particular chemical. So they look at that. The doctor and the pharmacist will check the PDMP, the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program that we have, and make sure that this patient is not getting multiple prescriptions for a vari- from a variety of different doctors that the doctor writing this new prescription or the pharmacist may not know of. And once all of those things are approved, it is then submitted to the insurance for payment. The patient picks up the medication and hopefully takes it according to the directions. Now, another loop in here is the insurance company. I was was just going to say, what about the uh, pre-approval or approval of the medication being on the person's prescription list? Um, And that can be a real process. Um, Good news announced a few weeks ago was Cigna was no longer going to require prior authorization for medications containing buprenorphine. And this has been a big problem because sometimes the insurance company says, no, we need more information. We're not going to pay for this medication until we've gotten additional information from the um, doctor or the healthcare provider writing the script. So they'll send us a prior authorization form. We have to send them back additional documents and provide them additional information as to why this medicine need, is needed by this patient. Uh, when it is finally approved, then we, the medical office, fax that information back to the pharmacy. Then the pharmacy contacts the patient, and the patient is able to pick up their prescription. Which is a problem because when you're using that type of medication, you need it then, not three days from then. Exactly. So, um, interestingly, um, there's also another loop in there, and that's from the insurance company themselves. I've got several letters just today from the insurance company telling me that my patient had not been picking up their prescriptions, that I was writing the prescriptions. They had gotten some of them filled, but then they had not picked up the next couple of months worth of medication and they wanted to know from me had I discontinued that medicine was there a problem with the medicine did the patient um, um, is, am I no longer seeing the patient 
so that they can help remind the patient to take their medicine. Uh, sometimes they send me a notification that given a, the current medications that they're getting from other uh, providers that there's now a drug-drug interaction and what I like to consider changing my medication that I'm prescribing for the patient. So all of these checks and balances, many of them are a pain in the behind, I will tell you, but the idea is that they are able to help make sure that the right person is getting the right medication at the right dose for the right um, indication for the right illness or injury or problem. And it takes an entire system sometimes to make sure that the pill your patient is putting in their mouth has not been contaminated, is what it's supposed to be, and is in the correct dose. Mistakes do happen, but I can promise you that if there is a mistake, it is um, acknowledged and corrected really quickly. So... That's the kind of process that the marijuana growers and uh, manufacturers and distribution systems will need to be able to comply with if they want um, this medication, um, and I'm using air quotes, I know you can't see me on the radio, but this medical marijuana to be able to go through the FDA approval. So we can see very clearly why the um, strategy behind getting this approved is to have it voted on by legislatures, legislators and taken out of this whole FDA and DEA process. Right. And what, what we're seeing is that socially people are becoming more and more, air quotes, accepting of it because it's, it's not a drug and it's not addictive and it's not this or not that and it's got a medical use so people are much more willing to accept it and that is, is the problem part of the problem we're going to take a break when we come back we'll talk about how much of a problem this actually is thanks for listening the disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge not just for the person suffering its effects but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today I have with me Michael Daly and David Donaldson, who graciously opened the show, show for me, and I thank you very much for doing You're welcome. That. And we're talking about the upcoming election in a little different way and some of the concerns around the potential further legalization of recreational and medical marijuana. So before the break, we were talking about the DEA's latest um, uh, report and denial of two petitions that have been filed under the Controlled Substance Act. The um, DEA wants to make it really very clear that there is currently only one entity only one um, source of legally produced marijuana that can be used by researchers in the United States, and that's under the University of Mississippi. The University of Mississippi is a very interesting place. Yes, they actually do grow marijuana, and they grow it and provide it for different uh, entities that are interested in doing research on it. They also receive samples of drug bus, of marijuana bus, so that they can do testing on the marijuana that has been confiscated by law enforcement to look at the purity, to look at the percentage of THC, to look at things like the fungus and bacteria and other problems that we're seeing that are being found on the marijuana. So they also are doing research in terms of what has been found on the street, so to speak, and keep a running total. That's how we know that the marijuana from my day is not anywhere near the marijuana um, potency that we find today. In fact, under Georgia law, they're allowed up to one or five percent THC, and most of the marijuana from back in the '60s, '70s, and '80s was less than four percent, three to four percent. So even the so-called low dose. Um, oil that is allowed here in Georgia for several specific indications and to people that have a legitimate marijuana medical card um, is still more potent than what many people have become accustomed to and think of when they think of marijuana. Now we have strains that are 28, 29, 30%, and when we start to see the production of the edibles and then some of the, the concentrates, the resins, they're going up into the 50, 60, and even up into the high 90% THC. Very potent stuff. This is not, um, this is not your grandma's uh, marijuana. And what I think is interesting on th along that line is the same people that worry about eating genetically modified foods and enhanced growing um, techniques for corn and vegetables and that type of thing, and they're freaked out by it. But how do they think that this marijuana has gone from 5% THC to 29%? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> What are they putting on this to make this happen? How are they breeding it? How are they how are they growing it? How are they producing it? Um, the DEA has currently 
authorized 350 separate researchers to be able to access the marijuana from the University of Mississippi to do research. And every single application that has come in from a legitimate source to do research on marijuana has been approved. So the idea that nobody's doing research and no one has access to marijuana to be able to do the research is just not true. That It is still tightly controlled, um, but it is um, something that now the Department of Health and Human Services um, are able to provide researchers with uh, marijuana. Well, and I think what's so important about that is... is one, that the research is actually happening right. despite all the popular press that it's not. And the other part is that there, the through the potency studies, we do know that it is getting much, much, much stronger, even even the kind that's just being smoked, not the oils, not the edibles, but the kind that's being smoked right. is, is um, three times five times as higher than what it was. And so and so when for me when we're thinking about the the DEA and the um, the classification scales mm-hmm. here here in America it's been classified as a schedule 1 which means it has no medical use and it has a really really high risk for abuse and for um, harm. Um, and we're all pushing, well, not we, but there are people in the states voting to get this moved um, recreational use off the scales altogether. Right. And the ones that are doing the the marijuana approach are trying to get it decreased in potency or in, in scales down to a two or a three um, so they'll have more access to it. Whereas uh, over in Amsterdam, it's being moved up the scales. It's been a lower scale, and it's been moved to a higher classification because over there they're recognizing how dangerous it is um, for for regular long-term users. Right. And they're also, over in Amsterdam, they're now limiting and no longer are they interested in the marijuana tourism that we see here as a new industry here in the United States, they no longer want to sell marijuana in their cafes to Tourists. people who are not residents. So they are tightening down and they are seeing that in many ways this was a failed experiment and that there are a lot more problems with it than there were before they had it. And if you figure that, follow the dollar, that if the tourism industry was adding so much to them um, based on just that, that would be something that would still be encouraged and not actually become something they've made illegal. So um, on the uh, good news, um, GW Pharmaceutical, which is a London-based company that makes Epidiolex, This is a pharmaceutical grade made from not synthetic um, THC like Marinol or Sativa, but made from actual marijuana plant where they've extracted the cannabidiol. The cannabidiol is the ingredient that most researchers think may have some medicinal benefits. It is not like the tetra the Delta-9 tetra um, hydrocannabinoid, which is the THC. So they're taking all the fun out of it. They're taking all of the fun out of it and leaving the medicinal extract. 
squirrel. And they have just finished their first round of studies. Now, interestingly, here in Georgia, at the University of Georgia, um, the Medical College of Georgia, they are doing some studies on, on seizures in children. So GW Pha- uh, Pharmaceutical has applied for orphan drug status with the FDA for uh, to allow research. And they have very strict guidelines that they have to follow, again, uh, for research. But they have just con- con- concluded the Phase three trials, which are the human studies, uh, looking at Epidiolex in treatment of the uh, Lennox-Gastow, which is a specific type of severe seizure disorder that... Um, is very rare, but one of the seizure disorders that they've been interested in finding whether or not this particular component of marijuana, not the whole plant, but this particular component, um, is able to provide some relief. And what they found is that when patients took 20 milligrams, now they knew how much was in there because this is a pharmaceutical grade and because it is... um, being closely measured, they saw that there was a 47% drop in their seizure rate for these children compared to 17% drop in children who are taking a placebo. So placebo effect is still important, and when people do believe a medicine is going to be helpful, we often see that it is helpful. But uh, clearly, 42% decrease in seizures. It didn't stop them completely, didn't make them go away, didn't cure their seizure disorder, but did cre- decrease the frequency. When patients were taking 10% or 10 milligrams, half the dose, um, they experienced a 37% drop in seizures versus, again, the 17% decrease in the placebo group. So um, the next step for GW Pharmaceutical is to actually apply for a patent and for approval through the FDA, and they expect that this will probably be approved based on the positive results of this uh, Phase three human trials of the Epidiolex approved sometime in the first half of 2017. Now, this um, will then require, if the FDA approves it, then the DEA has to look at it and decide what class schedule it will be. Will it remain a Schedule One? And that's not all marijuana. This is Epidiolex. Will it remain a Schedule One? Will they make it a Schedule Two or Three or um, whatever level they determine? And um, that has to be done in 90 days after the FDA approves it. But what happens is that the company will be able to show the data to the FDA that this is the benefit we're seeing from this medication at this dose, and they'll be able to say these are the risks that somebody has Mm -hmm. if they're taking it, and these are the potential side effects that have been reported, all of the side effects that that have been reported. So there's clear information for the FDA to make that decision when they're scheduling it. Um, None of that's been able to be done with just the marijuana grown in Colorado. Exactly. And so this will be approval for... uh, cannabidiol, which is that one ingredient. So they are saying that there is medicinal benefit for reduction of this rare type of seizures 
with this one specific element of the plant, but not the whole plant. They are not, GW Pharmaceutical wants to make that really clear, that this is not the whole plant, this is not the medical marijuana, this is the uh, cannabidiol For that specific. For that specific medicine, and that marijuana still has no documented uh, medical benefits. So I do have to ask, what is an orphan drug? Orphan drug status. Orphan drug status. That usually means that this is a whole new category of drugs, uh, medications, that is going to be um, given permission to be studied under very strict protocol by the FDA. Um, Often you can say, well, this is a new um, proton pump inhibitor to help with um, reflux. So they don't have to apply for a whole new category of drugs. So this orphan drug coming in, not part of another category that is given permission by the FDA for some studies with close monitoring through every phase. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the pot vote and what could happen. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctor's conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. 
Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is America's Web Radio. David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center and I are having a discussion today about the upcoming vote in six states to move it from the medical marijuana. We've been talking a little bit about the idea of the medical marijuana and some of the struggles, and we'll come back to that again. But this is to move it from the medical piece into purely recreational use like alcohol and tobacco Mm -hmm. that are not considered medications, although interestingly, both of them were touted Um, as medications early on in their career before they moved to a more recreational status. Exactly. Um, The tobacco company has been one of the big motivators and financially backing a lot of the legalization efforts and the cultivation efforts of marijuana. And they want it for the recreational. Right. Right. Track, not the medical track. Not the medical track. If you think about how they handled it in the beginning, the early advertising for tobacco was often doctors showing pictures of doctors smoking, and I recommend, I'm going to not say the brand, but it starts with an L, um, I'm going to recommend this brand to my patients with asthma and bronchitis. <laughs> So it was touted to be helpful for lung diseases. (laughs) We now know from the series of lawsuits that were finally filed and won against the tobacco companies in the 90s that this whole strategy of moving it from medical use to now recreational use has created such a nightmare because with the recreational use of tobacco, uh, the next move was will bring in a lot of tax money. Exactly. Well, what we have learned is the tax money, and this is some data that um, Sue Rushi from National Families in Action and uh, Kevin Sabat from Smart um, Smart Approaches to um, Marijuana. Um, they are. They have written this white paper, and they've reviewed some of this history, and they talk about that the taxes that they have received from tobacco, now we're talking, mm-hmm. um, does not even begin to cover the Medicare and Medicaid costs of treating tobacco-related illnesses. And, and that's only the illnesses and the related stuff that, that they can prove or that they can track right to it. It's not look. It's not looking at the cost of all the people that aren't directly the smoking. non-smokers, the secondhand mm-hmm. smokers, the third-hand smokers. Uh, today's societal and health costs of tobacco and alcohol are eleven times greater than any tax revenue that has been realized by the federal and state governments. So, part of the move has been well. States, you should consider this, and you should consider going recreational because they'll bring in all kinds of tax money. Mm-hmm. And this will be a, a real boon to the state and will be very helpful to your bottom line. And my fear is, and I think it's shared by um, Mrs. Rushi and um, Dr. Sabat, that 
we're going to be following in a few years after this similar kinds of understanding about the actual tax implications and the decreased benefit that these taxes bring compared to the social and the health costs that will accumulate with more and more people using recreational marijuana. Well, and what? the county, Pueblo County in Colorado has, um, apparently it's one of the larger um, places for growing, distribution, and and the recreational kind of the tourism portion mm-hmm. of it. And they're reconsidering whether they want to be a county that, that is allowing it. Because even though they've collected many, many taxes, the problems that they're seeing and the problems that they're facing in that county are, are making everyone second-guess it. Yeah, they're ending up facing a lot of problems with, with the black market and with um, mm-hmm. crime that, that wasn't expected to come when they appro- when they approved all of the, the growing permits to go in that area. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, while... Colorado was the leader in the recreational marijuana movement and moved very quickly from medical marijuana um, adoption to the recreational marijuana. What we know is that most of Colorado did not approve it for local sale. Most of the dispensaries are, are concentrated in areas like Denver and like Pueblo, and that many of the counties, many of the areas around it, said no. Said voted, we don't no. want. We don't want this. So, though it's touted as the success, I think that probably many citizens of Colorado would say otherwise. Right, and the problem of of now, you have grow houses popping up in Colorado in counties that allow it. Um, but it's not for Colorado consumption. It's it's being grown there kind of under the guise of legality and then being transported to other states where it is still illegal. Through the black market. Through the black market, yeah. So the idea was, well, we'll, we'll make this so that it's available to people. Mm-hmm. So that the black market, the organized crime element that's been providing the marijuana, not a good system, believe me, I'm not for the right. uh, organized crime part of it, but their, their hope was in Colorado that this would go away, but in fact, they found it was worse. Right. It makes me actually think of the old days with alcohol, um, where there used to be dry counties, um, and when I first moved to Georgia, there were still a few dry counties around, and there were certain restaurants that uh, I know people would not go to that restaurant, even though the food was supposed to be great, because they couldn't drink there. And then it went to they could drink there, but they had to bring their own liquor, and the mm-hmm. restaurant would sell the pour or sell the setup, and and began getting to a point where um, where suddenly the county has decided, okay, we're losing all this revenue because people are just drinking in the counties around it. And and so the gates with alcohol just opened up a little bit at a time to where now most of the restrictions on alcohol in Georgia have pretty much been lifted. You can buy on Sundays now. You can buy throughout the night in many areas. And, and most counties, I don't know if there's any dry counties left. One? Uh, um, <laughs> Yes, well, the county that I live in does not um, have liquor stores. 
you can buy beer and wine everywhere, including drugstores, but you can't buy liquor. You have to cross the county line to be able to buy hard liquor. So that was their bow to um, to not providing recreational alcohol completely. And so we're seeing the same dance now happening with marijuana, um, where the counties were not going to let that element in, mm-hmm. and the counties that did let it in are dealing with the the realities of it. Um, but but it's, it's interesting because part of the dilemma that's going on with the the election is that all of the states that that have it on the ballot right now have a little bit of medical marijuana use mm-hmm. and and the ballot is this competition that's coming up between medical versus recreational and if we can get it out of the hands of medical and have it recreational then we don't have to worry about the DEA and the FDA and and those other those other governmental agencies those right but but they're using the medical model to sell it to the general public to start, as, the, process. To start the process initially. And then they're saying, well, just like everything in the government, once you bring uh, you know, the government in regulating, it's going to be so cumbersome that nobody can get it and this and that. And, and they make it seem like um, you know, it's the government's fault and they're just taking over. So let's just legalize it and make it easy to get. And it's just like alcohol. And that that lessens everyone's um, realization that marijuana is a drug. And it, it is indeed very um, addictive. Mm-hmm. And it creates long-term problems, especially for the younger people that are using it. Right. And the similar tactics that were used uh, by the tobacco company to sell cigarettes and to make them uh, popular was to focus the advertisement to children. Mm -hmm. We know with cigarettes, if you start smoking by the time you're 18, you are very likely to be a customer for life. And the studies are really clear. The brand you smoke before your age of 18 is probably the brand that you will continue to smoke for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Unless you can't find it available for whatever reason the store is sold out. So the brand loyalty starts early with kids. Mm-hmm. Now we see that edible forms of marijuana being focused again towards kids with names of candy and they're cooked in brownies and they're made in Gummy. gummies and in forms that look like children's candies. Candy. In fact, some of the names and some of the shapes and um, packaging looks identical with a few changed wor- uh, letters uh, to regular candy confections that people might buy. And this is a huge problem because what we're seeing in Colorado and in other places is the more marijuana is available and accepted, the perception of harm goes down and the use by children goes up. And to your point, Michael, I think the idea that the effect that it has, particularly on the growing, developing adolescent brain, is profound. And we see long-term, serious cognitive side effects from the use of it. Alcohol, not a good thing, not necessarily supporting it at all, but it's in and out of your system in about eight hours. Right. 
marijuana is fat soluble. You may not be smoking it right now, but if you smoked it yesterday, it's still in your system. And it's really concentrated in your brain because your brain is mostly fat. Right. So the longer-term effects that came that were demonstrated in the NIH study in New Zealand, the 30-year study, naturalistic study, looking at just what happens to a group of 30,000 people following them through their lives. Some of them may have smoked marijuana. Someone never did. Some started, some stopped. Some started and continued, but they looked at the IQ tests every 10 years for a total of three and found that the average drop in IQ was eight points, which is a significant, significant IQ drop. Many of us can't afford that. I don't want to lose it. (laughs) We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the effects of pot and the voting. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Buzz off with Lawyer Liz. Join me each week, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, as we talk drones, Internet of Things, and technology. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. I have Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we've been talking about the upcoming votes that are on the ballots for six states making possible for their states to have legalized recreational marijuana. We have to still remind people that even though it may be 
legal in your state, that does not mean that it is illegal because the federal government and the DEA has come back again and reaffirmed the statement that it is illegal in the United States. So there is still possibility of action. But all of that aside, there's some lessons that we need to be thinking about and learning from Colorado. And the most important in the beginning, I think, is the exposure. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was plenty of exposure to adolescents when they started the medical marijuana. Right. When they added in 2014 the recreational marijuana, there was a significant increase in the number of young people who were reporting that they were um, using marijuana, particularly in the counties in the Denver School District. Um, The number of dispensaries doing business is now about 500 dispensaries. Most of them are in the Denver area. 55% of the seniors in Colorado report now using marijuana. And that's compared to 49% nationwide. But when they looked at the middle school and high school students in Denver, 61% of -hmm. Denver's students were using marijuana. So 61% in Denver, 55% in Colorado overall, and 49% in the rest of the nation. Now, I'm not thrilled about the 49% either, don't get me wrong, but that's a significant increase. And prior to this happening, there was not a, Colorado was not significantly different. different than other states. But with the as we've talked about before, with the perception that this is a medication, this is a uh, legal substance now, it is not harmful, people are more likely to use it, and when kids have access to the medical marijuana and the recreational marijuana that people over the age of 18 are purchasing, we're going to see more and more problems. Well, and I think just the perception that it's it's a medical marijuana and it's really not that big a deal. You know, you think of all of the other medications that came out that initially you had to have a prescription for and then you had to buy it from the counter and then you could just buy it off the shelf. And so our society's really gotten used to these things that come out as a major medication really not being as as serious when once it develops a bigger market and I think Michael actually ends up dealing with this quite a bit with with families because he deals with families when they call initially and and they're often really embarrassed about calling about marijuana and and so yeah they call and they say you know I probably shouldn't even be calling you about this but my son is smoking pot I know that's it's it's not really a drug and I know blah 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 and they say but it's starting to cause problems and they say you know you shouldn't be embarrassed at all about this because this is the time to catch it and this is this is really truly it is a drug and it does have a very detrimental effect on people especially young people mm-hmm. and I try to help them understand that you know, trying to get help and get treatment for their loved ones, the younger they do it, the better off they are. But And the problems they end up listing are always the same, mm-hmm. that the, their um, 
failing in school, that their attitudes have really just gone way down, that they're um, always angry. Um, and these things that you don't necessarily associate with marijuana from when it was just 3%. Back in, in, in the 80s, as if I confess having ever tried marijuana, <laughs> I did not get angry at all. I was happy and joyful, and, and it didn't have such a drastic change of my personality and how I got along with people. But today... When parents are calling, their kids are going from the child they love to to a um, demon. A demon, <laughs> and they're seeing a decreased motivation, a loss of interest in things that used to be really important to the young person. Mm-hmm. So they may have excelled in sports or in school or band or artistically, and now those things are no longer interesting. Right. The kids are no longer willing to put in the hard work and the effort to perfect a sport or to perfect a musical instrument. They're no longer interested in their grades. They can get so much more immediate reinforcement and and positive feelings internally from smoking a joint. Why do I need to go practice football three hours a day for six months? Sweat and sweat and work. Um, I can feel as good just just sitting sitting on the couch. And this is over and over and over again what we see and what we hear. And it's not just children. It's not just adolescents or young adults. We're seeing older people who are now having cognitive impairment, who are now having difficulty making decisions, who are now having come to the realization that pot rules their life, that they smoke it all the time, and that it is something that has created for them a nightmare, and they can't stop. Stop It's, It's not a matter of let's just educate you and help you understand that this might not be good for you. They understand all that, and still they can't stop. This is a very serious thing, and it really is something for all of us to think about. Alcohol and tobacco are legal. They've been legal for a number of years. They're legal in every state. People can use them if you're over the age of 18 or 21. Not a problem. And we see the devastation that these two drugs have in people's lives. People want to say, well, marijuana is better than alcohol, or marijuana should be legalized just like alcohol or tobacco. And I have to say, why? We have legalized these two drugs and have seen the very negative long-term effects on families, on individuals, on communities, adding this other drug that we know now is more potent and stays in the brain and affects the brain much longer than do these other two drugs that are legal. Right. And and we have to remind everyone that addiction is a disease. It's a disease of the brain. So there is a certain subset of population that's going to become addicted no matter what it is. But when you make it easier and more accessible then that group can get a hold of it quicker and it has a detrimental effect on society much worse. Well, and part of what takes something from a Schedule 5 that has a little addiction potential and a lot of benefit up to a Schedule 1 is that it goes up the scale in terms of just how addictive the substance is. And marijuana is a Schedule 1 because it has a high addiction potential. 
So if you are a family member is having difficulty, it's very important that you do take it seriously. Mm -hmm. And many times we'll hear people say, well, it's just pot. Well, yes, it's just pot, and pot is not a good thing. If that young person or older individual is having difficulty and they can't seem to stop, they may need some additional help. There are ways in which um, a treatment program can help decrease cravings, help with the long-term withdrawal, and the withdrawal from pot is a long-term withdrawal. It doesn't get over in a week or a couple of days like we see with alcohol or we see with heroin. Right. This is a long, protracted withdrawal. It's not nearly so dramatic, but it is very much affects the individual in their ability to cope and, and live their life normally. So they may need to have additional help and additional um, support, including some medications and some supplements that we use in our practice on a regular basis to help people reduce the cravings for uh, marijuana and to help them be able to begin to normalize their brain because mm-hmm. that's the next piece that's going to take a lot more time than we see for some of our other patients using other substances. Well, and I think also right now marijuana has such a strong um, defense system nationally with the, with so much press that it's not addictive and it's not harmful and 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 that they're voting on whether that it can be recreationally used in nine other states that's i mean that sends a message that parents i think really need to become involved with other parents where they can hear the reality of what of what marijuana does to families and not just listen to the popular press because they're an informed voter will make the right choice. So we wish you all um, a very good week, and please do go vote, and we'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.